Advanced Principles Podcast, or APP, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On APP, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. One thing that I definitely want to give you the opportunity to speak about is, you know, AFIP is is really your role, but it has become one of many roles that you have started to serve within the industry and really being much more of an advocate for assembly of information, um, kind of disseminating for the dealers and all of us as providers out there, what is and what isn't worth spending our time on. So talk about some of the interests, other interests and organizations that you've helped lead and how those uh, are helping the industry. So it, it all ties to AFIP. Good question. So let's kind of, I, I all tie it back to AFIP. You know, AFIP originally just taught federal state laws. That's what we got into, right? In the 90s, it was just, this is what you have to tell a customer. This is what you do not tell a customer. And I think as AFIP has morphed into this, or as we evolve, we start to get into policies, procedures, and then we start to look at who provides those policies and procedures, right? So AFIP and NADA has worked, I mean, we've worked closely together on getting insight on what are the NADA policies? What are the best practice? And then we've incorporated that into what we communicate out to the dealers, whether it be through AFIP certification or whether it be in these type of conversations and communications. And as we meet with other organizations and we meet with the associations, we reinforce that the, the best thing that dealers can do are not just follow the laws, but let's look at the policies provided or the, by NADA, fair, fair Market Credit or the Fair Credit Market Policies and Procedures and the Voluntary Protection Product. Right. There are resources out there that we believe that we need to get into everybody's hand because those are the policies and procedures that would have protected or saved those dealers that have been recently fined. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what yep. when they're they're told by the government. You got to go to put a go, go. You have to go put a policy in place. These are the policies and procedures that we're pushing. Yeah. OK, well, good. And I know that you, um, you're you active at NADA, you're active at Industry Summit. You mentioned before we got on here and started the recording, you're starting to get out in some of the legal. Um, and really, that is uh, such a critical role for all of us to be able to take part of. Now, with all of that involvement and all the conversations you've had, whether it's State Association, NADA, the dealers and themselves, agents and everybody and all, and I know you work very closely with a lot of the product providers as well. What have you been able to gather is, is what you see as a projected outcome from these proposed. And I know that's asking you to look into a crystal ball. I know. And it's I've a difficult question. But, right here. <laughs> but but realistically, where do you see this kind of settling out? I'm not going to ask you to put a time frame on it because I think no, I this, this extension might be one of many extensions. But what do you see realistically being implemented and integrated into the transaction? It's a good question. I, and I think my answer in this has changed over the last six months. The more we talk about it, the more we look at the uh, look at it from a political standpoint, uh, the more we hear what the government agencies are saying. Um, I mean, the recent uh, the appellate court shot down the, you know, the, uh, 
the CFPB made they could be unconstitutional. There's a lot going on, right? CFPB is not going away. Let me just make it clear. Um, I'm just, I'm not even want to, the fact that I mentioned, that, I don't even want to get into it. It's not going to go away, right? It'll serve the agenda of some somebody in office. So it is what it yep. is. Uh, but in, here's what I believe. Something's going to happen. We are going to see changes come out. Um, I believe the changes that come out, we're not going to be happy with. I think that they're going to come out uh, pretty aggressive. They might not be all the changes as they were written, but I think they're going to come out with aggressive changes based on their enforcement action and based on what we've seen and what they've put in writing. I think they are going to be aggressive. Um, I do think that some of the associations will go a legal route to try to block those changes. Right. There is a route to go through Congress and go through the president to try to block a change that 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 a uh, that an, that an agency had has put out, right? They're not technically supposed to be lawmaking, right? So mm -hmm. there is a, yep. there is a legal route that can take place. So I and and what gets passed might get wiped away if we see a different president come in, you know, in the next presidential election. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that can happen. It could be short term. It could be long term. Um, but I do expect changes to come out. I just I don't. That I think I expect to happen. I would be yeah. shocked based on what we've seen if they just disappeared. Yeah. Um, I think, and like I said, I think they'll be aggressive. I don't want to go on record for which ones I think will and will <laughs> not, because I already have dealers saying, how do I get compliant with these new rules? And I keep telling them that there's here's some things you can do, but tap the brakes on everything else. Let's see what happens. And yep. uh, like I said, let's see what the uh, National Association does. Yeah, right. I, they carry a lot of weight. They have a mm -hmm. very strong legal staff uh, that, that has a lot of respect in D.C. And yeah. I would expect them to take some pretty aggressive action if the rules go into effect anywhere close to how they are written. Um, yeah. I do. The last I heard is they were reviewing the results and we were supposed to hear something by October 20th. Um, I'm shocked that we didn't. I think there was somewhere between 8000 to 13000 comments. Wow. So I, I did not expect anything to come about on the 20th. Um, obviously, we're well past that date. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're you know, we're all I don't want to say patiently waiting, but we're all waiting to see what 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 will happen. Um, I'm thinking maybe early next year, maybe sometime next year before we actually hear anything. Um, but, you know, it's it's a waiting period. And I think dealers need to do some things, but I don't think they need to get too aggressive, assuming they already have some things in place. Yep. Um, but to go back, just to go back to what I said, I mean, there are some basic things they can do. If you don't mind, I'm going to jump into No, it. please. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's where I was going I mean, next I, anyway. So that's great. Yeah, I get a lot of, I mean, dealers are calling, agencies are calling. What do they need to do? Well, first thing they need to do is have a compliance officer and have a compliance program in place. You need to have a written policies, written procedures. Everybody needs to be trained and you have to enforce it. Bottom line. Yep. I don't think you can get away in today's environment with not having that in place. Right. Second thing you need to, and that, that one thing becomes a very long thing. It's not a simple one step right. I get with yep. that, but you've got to start doing something. The second thing is you have to have a complaint management system. You have to have a centralized location that handles the complaints that has actual oversight. Remember under today's world, your compliance officer should report to your board of directors. Mm -hmm. They need to be separate from every other uh, every other individual, right? They don't need to report to somebody like a finance director 
who has vested interest in those results. Yep. Your compliance officer needs to be in the board of directors meetings, right? So that's where those complaints need to go. You need to show that you're handling those complaints, resolving those complaints. But what we've learned is customers that are going to complain, they're going to go somewhere. I don't know why we don't put a, a somewhere on our website that says, if you're unhappy, click on this, right? Mm -hmm. There are, I mean, we have one, there are companies that offer solutions. You put somewhere on the website. If you're unhappy, I want to know, tell me about your experience. And I'll be candid with you. A lot of the complaints really have nothing to do with sales or service. A lot of them are very simple complaints um, that can be easily resolved, right? We've seen some complaints that are that the coffee sucks in service, right? Yep. Easy to fix, get better coffee. So some of them are pretty simple. But you've, you need to give yourself an opportunity to get in front of that complaint before it goes to the next level. The other thing it's going to tell you is it's going to give you an insight to what's happening at your stores, right? Are most of your complaints in finance coming from the same person, mm -hmm. right? Is it a training opportunity? Do you have maybe somebody in the wrong position? It allows you to have an oversight or an outlook into maybe where some focus is need, needs to be. Um, so the process and managing those complaints, you need to have a, a policy on markup over buy rate, right? You need to have a policy on how you price your products, Yep. right? One of the things with disparate pricing is one of the things that came out of the legal conference is the CFPB does not necessarily follow the same definitions of what is a protected class under the ECOA, under ECOA, which is scary to think about. Mm -hmm. Right. So you yep. need to have policies in place. Gone are the days that just because I can price my product based on back end allowance. Yep. Gone are those days. Yep. Right. You've got to be able to provide an answer as to why you charge that brought the customer that price or why you marked it up over the buy rate that many points. Yep. Yep. And I, I totally reset markups, whether it's buy rate or product should exist in every single store. Uh, it just, it, it is uh, still a little bit baffling to me that we walk into stores and, and we're pricing the customer, not yeah. the actual product, um, which is unfair. And it leads to a lot of these individual uh, potential fines, penalties, assessments, and, and punitive nature items. So um, that's all great stuff. Now, there's a couple of things, you know, that I wanted to just kind of get your opinion on. And uh, like most agents or product providers out there, we're calling on stores both in metro areas and rural area, rural areas. And you know some of the things you hear when you get outside of the metro areas to say we're a small store, we're in the country. You know this isn't as important to us. We're not a target. It, 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 and, and I, you know, one, I try to stop a dead in its tracks. But what's your response when you hear that? So I would historically, whether whether I like the statement or not, historically the math works in their favor, right? If you look yep. at, you know, historically from a government enforcement action standpoint, the numbers would work in their favor. If we look at the government action over the last, I would say 18 months, two years, I would say that's not the case, right? We're not seeing the focus only on the large dealer groups. What we're seeing is government action based on consumer complaints. Mm -hmm. um, I was at industry summit last week uh, Terry Laughlin from Reynolds and Reynolds spoke on this in well as well and had some very good points on gone are the days where the dealers can use that statement, 
Mm -hmm. Right. And then I think there are not the, and I'm not going to name dealer names, but if we look at recent government enforcement action, you can see examples of government action on smaller size dealer groups. Mm -hmm. And I think yep. that's the best thing to cite is to let yep. them see that, show them that. Um, and the fact that state attorney generals are getting more and more aggressive, right? If we, and there's a current case going on right now in the East coast where attorney general has, is doing it, you know, is doing an audit investigation against the dealer on how they price their vehicles. Oh, right. I mean, it, yeah. and it's scary to think about and if we, and hopefully that does not spread because if we get into pricing of vehicles, we got a whole different conversation we've got to get into, but it's yeah. scary to think about, but there, that's an example of attorney generals getting more aggressive, looking at the actual D their actions within their state. So yep. that's my answer to them is let's let's review those government actions. Let's look to see what current behavior is and current behavior will will eliminate that as an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, this has been fantastic. Very insightful. Um, it dropped a lot of knowledge on us. So we appreciate that. So let's talk about, you know, kind of the next steps, because you said, you know, a few things that you mentioned that the dealers should absolutely do to work to protect themselves. Um, but how do the dealers, the dealership associates, and anyone really touching the deal find out more about your pro your programs and your products and your seminars out there to seek certification? And then what's the once they get certified, um, it's it's not just you know get certified once and you're good for life. What are some of those recommendations you have for them? So I would say um, obviously the best way to get a hold of AFIP, AFIP.com. Um, Ryan, you'll have my contact information. Yep. Hopefully you'll have it somewhere. We'll put my contact information. You can reach out to me through my email, my phone number. It'll be available. Uh, contact me directly. Um, there's a way to contact us through the AFIP.com. There's a link there. Certification. I mean, you have to show due diligence, right? The best way to protect yourself is to take action, right? There's a lot of ways to take action. You need to have a compliance officer. You need to have a process in place. Right. I, we can provide a lot of those services, all of those services, certification. Right. Let's get knowledge to the people that are going to put you in ri at risk. If they don't have the knowledge, let's get them the appropriate knowledge. One of the advantages right now, I would say, of, a of being an AFIP member is you have access to our learning management system. If rules change, we will immediately post new education modules. We will send out communication. So as rules change, we update our process, we update our system, and we provide that communication. Members that are active with AFIP certification will receive an update on those changes. So if you wanna be relevant and you wanna stay up to date, you get certified and you stay current. So you're always up to date on those changes. Yep. That's great. That's fantastic. And I will, I will personally say, you know, having hosted you for many certification courses, the feedback has been phenomenal. Everybody leaves talking about how much they learned, um, whether they've been in the industry for a year, a decade or more, um, they leave away with something new that you've been able to bring to the table. And I think your activity in the industry uh, and some of the narratives that you can share and some of the real world experiences that you've had has been very helpful in that. So from our standpoint, we appreciate that um, and go from there. Thank you. I, I, mean, I appreciate the business and I always enjoy your boot camps. You're, you have, yeah. I would say your classes are, people are always very engaged. They want to be there and they're always enjoyable classes to teach. So we appreciate the business as well. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, before we leave here today, we do get into our fast five. 
which are five unscripted questions, a little bit off topic, um, just to kind of pick your brain and get after it here, wide ranging. So, you know, first we got to address the obvious. We've got to talk about the beard. You know, you've been rocking it. I think you were rocking a beard before beards were cool. (laughs) So let's hear a little bit of, a little bit of history on, on when this thing came to be, because it's, it's been, it's kind of come a little bit of a calling card for you. It has been. I did not expect it. Um, <laughs> I shaved every day. I shaved pretty much every day of my life. I didn't think I could grow a beard. Uh, previous job, we decided to do a Movember combat or Movember. You know, in November, we decided to do a contest. I am not allowed to have a mustache. I am not allowed into public places if I do. So I said for Movember, I'm going to grow the whole beard out, but it's not going to happen. And then after about three weeks, I was like, I can do this. So I would say in the last 10 years, I've probably shaved twice. Wow. The last event once, and I shaved. Um, I don't know. I like it. It just kind of, I feel like it goes into your point. People say, oh, that, I don't, I don't remember who you are, but you look really familiar. I recognize the beard. So I get a lot of that. Um, you know, it just, it kind of is what it is at this point. Yeah. Um, from a spousal standpoint, I am not allowed to shave. The wife likes it. She doesn't want it to go anywhere. So it, it'll yep. stay for a long time. Um, I would say there are some great beard products out there that do help with the beard. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it is what it is at this point. It helps for my retirement when I head back to Colorado and live in the mountains for the rest of my life. I'm preparing for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you're well on your way. Well on your way. I I see the next enterprise being your own line of beard products. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, So you did mention on this podcast, and I've known this of you just from our conversations at different industries, events, and so forth. You are an avid reader, uh, a a learner of many different things. It's not just industry specific. So what's on the nightstand right now or what's on the Kindle uh, today for you? I've been doing a ton of podcasts, been on the road a lot, been doing a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, there's some good podcast podcasts out there. I kind of go back and forth between comedy, self-help, uh, industry related. Um, I don't I don't really have the only one I really just dominate on a regular basis is not related to auto. But I love the Smartlist podcast. Mm-hmm. If you don't listen to Smartlist. Right. If you're are you aware of that podcast? I'm not. I've heard of it and I've heard really right. good things about it, but I have not Gosh. personally listened to it. I really like that one. And that one, I, I like the podcast, but that's where I get a lot of my reading material from. Um, uh, one, they, just, they just did a podcast and I can't remember. I just went blank. It's the uh, uh, Anderson Cooper was on there. Mm, okay. And I was fascinated to learn things about his life that I didn't know that drove him to be who he was today. Mm. So I am currently going through the first book he wrote. I didn't realize he was from the Vanguard family or Van, yeah, Vanguard Vanderbilt. Family. Right. Vanderbilt. Thank you. Vanderbilt family. I didn't realize that he had suffered a lot of loss early in life. Um, that's the current one. I'm, I've, I'm or the audio book that I'm going through. Um, I think it's fascinating to hear what people have to go through and overcome. Mm-hmm. And I kind of relate that. Um, I would say from a personal standpoint, I'm working on uh, kind of the understanding regret versus obstacles. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm kind of yep. in this mental mindset where um if you regret doing something or not doing something the mental weight of that's pretty heavy Mm -hmm. and it stays with you but it's not really a learning opportunity you just focus on why you did or did not um you know if i don't do something i regret about it i think about it it's stressful but if i do it then it's a learning opportunity 
So yeah. what I'm working on in life is to not lay in bed at the end of the night and say, well, I should have done this. I didn't do this. But it's following my instincts doing what I think I should do and then learning from those actions, yeah. whether it be rejection or acceptance. Right there. I, I think in our industry, we need to do a better job at teaching rejection. Right. Dealership people take it personal. Right. Fine. Don't buy a car with me. Something's wrong with you. You didn't buy product. That guy's crazy. And I think we need to get out of that. I think we need to learn more about rejection. And it's not personal. It doesn't need to stay with you. Rejection is nothing but learning opportunities. It's mm -hmm. not a personal attack on you. They're not rejecting you. And I think that there's a lot of uh, conversation that I think we should take place as an industry. And just personally, that's what I'm working on is trying to, when at the end of the day, as I evaluate my day, I want to have less of the regrets and more of the learning opportunities through obstacles, whether it be rejection or acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Great insight. Great insight. So you did mention kind of one day retiring and getting back to your Colorado roots and that beard's just going to be, you know, so much bigger and longer and more badass. But so there is a lot of connection and, and people may or may not know that there's a ton of connection between Colorado and Texas. And there are so many Texans that come up to ski in the mountains in Colorado. And I know when I lived out there, you know, I wasn't one of them, but you could always spot the Texans that may making their trip up there, whether it was Keystone, Copper, Winter Park or whatever. So how has it been, uh, you know, going from Colorado to Texas and now you've been there for quite a while. And uh, what are some of the differences that you've experienced? Well, it's funny because so my family's originally from Colorado. Both my parents grew up on homesteaded ranches in Colorado. So when my father moved to Texas, from Wisconsin to Texas, the first time we went back to Colorado, I don't know, 40 something years ago, uh, my dad was not allowed to park in my, my, his dad's driveway with Texas plates. <laughs> right. So, if we, right. And, and if you look at historically, mm -hmm. right, the Texans were buying up all the ski resorts. Yep. Right. They were coming up with the oil money. So there used to be some pretty significant, you know, animosity between California, mm -hmm. Colorado and Texas. And even when you cross the border, if you were speeding three miles over, if you had Texas plates, you were going to get a ticket. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of there's been so many transplants right now when people with other states, I think a lot of that's gone away. Um, you know, I think the hardest part of being in Texas is just surrounded by uh, cowboy fans that are oblivious every year on what their team is going <laughs> to actually do, not to cause any negative feedback. But I think uh, to me, the biggest that's that's the hardest part of being somebody in Texas who's not a Texan is yep. surrounded by the uh, the Dallas Cowboy fans, specifically being close to the Death Star where they play. Yeah, um, it's, it's just dealing with that. Uh, but I think a lot of the other animosity is just gone. Now it's just everybody's friendly when we go to Colorado. Everybody's very friendly. Uh, gone are the days that if you were from Texas, you know, you weren't going to get you weren't going to get help. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. So certainly you've hosted so many courses. You've taught so many people. You've certified so many people. What is, are like top one or two most commonly missed questions on the different certifications that you can do? And where's the disconnect? Paying attention. Um, so I, some, I, I teach the <laughs> class. I feel like sometimes it's very clear and it gets frustrated when some people miss questions. Uh, oddly enough, one of the most commonly missed questions is who owns the vehicle during the repayment process of a retail installment sale contract, the customer or the funding source, right? The customer owns the vehicle. The funding source has security interest reflected in a lien or a title. 
I would say hmm. that if you don't attend class, that's the most commonly missed question. Okay. Um, the other area where, that are commonly missed questions is the area that everybody feels confident in, and yet a commonly a common area where people struggle is 8,300, right? Mm -hmm. Is when you get into 8,300 and what is and what is not cash, those are commonly missed questions. And yet when I teach it, everybody's like, we know this, we got this. And yet that's one of those, those are some of the most commonly missed questions is 8,300. What is and yep. what is not cash? Right. When should you, would you, when should you not file? I just, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I even did at one of the conferences, I spoke about it uh, to a group of individuals that were seasoned F&I managers and there were still questions and things that came up. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's probably the second area that I would say are those most commonly missed questions uh, on the exam that still shock me uh, based upon the feedback that everybody knows this stuff. Yep. Yep. All right. So last one, you are a road warrior in some sense. I mean, you're traveling cross country at the different events, hosting in-person certification courses. So what, what are a couple of the travel hacks that you've picked up over the years to make being on the road and travel mm -hmm. has not been easy these last couple of years. I mean, especially this last year, it's been difficult. So what I are your top one or two travel hacks that you can recommend to some other road warriors out there? Well, that's a good one. Um, you know, I hate for, I'm, I'm going to say this in a way, probably a better say, way to say it, but I'm kind of a whore for my points, right? I stay loyal to certain areas. And I think that if you can keep loyalty and like, whether it be your Marriott's, your American, uh, the perks of having that status goes a long way, mm -hmm. right? I think, you know, you can bypass lines at Avis. You can buy, you know, regardless of those, those uh, the companies, if you can be a status member, uh, a lot of that frustration goes away. Um, you know, with that, I would say, to, and honestly, that's the best hack I have. Um, and today I would say pre COVID, there was probably a lot more to add to that yep. post COVID. It just it travels, you know, canceled flights, less flights, short inventory shortage of cars at rental companies. Um, I, you know, I, I would say that's the best hack. I, my only tip, uh, you know, as I feel like, as I fill out my Avis feedback, every time my biggest tip is always put the seat as far back as possible when you park the car, because being six, four and trying to get in a car for the first time, they always have it up far up as possible. So I, I would say my other trick is always put that seat back. If you're tall before you get in that seat. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's always difficult trying to get in that car for the first time, but that's, I would say best hack, just get your statuses yeah. um, and then watch the specials. There's a lot of specials that they'll send out in emails simply by having those status levels. Yes, that's fantastic. Well, Shannon, thank you again for your time. Um, diving deep into some of these issues, really talking about how dealers can protect themselves, where they can go to uh, gain additional resources for your organization. And um, on behalf of everything that you do for us, thank you for being a spokesperson within the industry and helping guide us through these uh, very uncertain and uh, tumultuous times. So really appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. It was, I enjoyed the podcast. Um, obviously looking forward to listen to this and some of the other ones you have. And if, if these rules come out and we see some dramatic changes, let's jump on and do it again and talk Absolutely. about what's actually happening. If those changes go into effect, but let's thank you for it. the time. I do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Shannon. Have a great evening. Thank you. Yeah.